so like Dan uh, said, my name is Jordan Washington. Uh, I'm a Timothy here that is uh, currently still in seminary at RTS in Orlando, Florida, uh, along with uh, Blake Reap, who is uh, about to graduate in May from, from Covenant Seminary. And so uh, we're incredibly excited uh, for Blake because if you know anything about school in general, right, uh, school is, is a difficult thing. Uh, and it's particularly difficult to get a, a master's degree in, in uh, theology. So we're, we're excited uh, for, for Blake. So if you've uh, been here when, I, when I've preached before, one, one thing that you probably know about me by now is that uh, I pay pretty close attention to, to the news, right? Um, last January, uh, I made the fatal flaw of getting a Twitter account. <laughs> and uh, I frequently check Twitter just because there's a lot that's going on on, on Twitter. Uh, it's uh, become a news outlet in, in a lot of cases as well. I mean, you get people's unfiltered opinions on Twitter. And you can get that on, on news, outlet, news outlets as well. But Twitter, as of right now, is kind of my go-to source for the news. And if you're also anything like me, uh, the news can be a very discouraging place. Uh, social media can be even more of a discouraging place. And then it gets even worse when you begin to look at different statistics for the supposed decline of, of Christianity, the rise of uh, non-Christian values in, in our country in particular, the rise of uh, immorality in our culture. Uh, all of these things uh, that we see on different news outlets can be particularly discouraging. And so the title of, of this sermon uh, is actually going to be Preach On and Be Not Afraid. So preach on and be not afraid. And so this passage this morning is a lot more descriptive, meaning that we're really just getting a picture of what Paul's missionary journey was like, than prescriptive, meaning go and do as Paul did, right? So th this passage is not about how everyone should just be like Paul, right? we're getting a picture of one of Paul's missionary journeys to the church in Corinth. Uh, but one of the things I do want us to pay attention to, because I do think we can get some principles from this particular passage, and it is how we are to engage with the world and be not afraid. And I think one of the parallels that we're going to see in this passage is in the same way that when we share the gospel with people who are unbelievers, you can have two responses, right? They can revile you or they can accept the gospel. Is the same thing that we see here in Paul's missionary journey to the church or to Corinth in this particular time. And so I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to dive into our passage. So Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for uh, the Sabbath day uh, to rest in you, not from you. Uh, we pray that your word would speak to us, that we would be strengthened and edified in the promises that are yes and amen in your son, Jesus Christ, that we would be armed to be faithful Christians uh, to the different things that you have called us to do as individuals uh, in our own lives and corporately as a church body here in the city of Little Rock. We pray that your spirit uh, would move in us, that it would convict us where we need to be convicted, that it would comfort us when we need comforting and would encourage us in the areas in which we need encouraging. And we ask and we pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius 
had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his, with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. And so we saw that Paul preached probably one of his more well-known sermons at the Areopagus uh, prior, and we see that some people were converted after hearing about the resurrection of Jesus. Some people mocked, some people were converted and began to follow Paul. And so he left, and now he is in Athens specifically, and then he went to Corinth. He's with a man named Aquila uh, with his wife Priscilla. And one of the things that we see about Paul is that Paul is what we would call a bivocational missionary. Uh, and, and what this means is that Paul was not just a full-time missionary, but that he had a day job as well. And we see that Paul was a tent maker along with uh, Aquila. And so both these men were tent makers. And so this is particularly important for the life of Paul because this is how Paul funded himself, right? So this was Paul's breadwinning means, right? So he didn't get anything uh, for his missionary endeavors in terms of financial support. Paul supported himself through making tents in the various places that he went. Uh, and this obviously was a, was a pretty nice trade because you can take this trade anywhere in the world. And so he could travel to a particular place, make tents, and be, excuse me, and make money for himself. And so this was a nice trade to have if you're a missionary. And so Paul's a tent maker along with Aquila, who has left Rome and Italy with his wife. And one thing in particular that we should see from this text that we can take as Christians in the 21st century in America is in verse 4. And it says, and he, being Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. This is particularly important for how Christians are to engage with people who are not believers. Because there are several ways, and I'm sure each of you can attest to witnessing this yourself, there are several ways in which Christians can go about engaging unbelievers. Uh, there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it, right? The right way to do it is the way that we see Paul and Jesus and the other apostles and just about every great Christian missionary throughout Christian history. We see that Paul, in verse 4, reasoned with the people in the synagogue, Right, notice that it doesn't say that he called them names. Notice that it says that he doesn't attack them verbally. 
Notice that it says it doesn't, he doesn't say that their beliefs are stupid. Notice he says that it doesn't think that Paul thinks that the people who are unbelievers are dumb. Notice it doesn't say any of these things, but it says that Paul reasoned with them. Right, so, so human beings, being created in the image of God, we, we each have a mind that, that we think with. And regardless of how ridiculous we might think non-Christian beliefs are, at the end of the day, the only reason any of us are Christians is because of God's grace to us. None of us reasoned our, our way to, to Christ in the sense that a light bulb just went off and we just decided we're going to follow Jesus today. That was God's grace to us. The Holy Spirit working upon us and hearing the preaching of the word of God that made us willing to believe and follow Jesus. And so there's no reason for Christians to be boastful about our beliefs. Boastful in the sense that, yes, we glory in Christ, and yes, we know what awaits us after death, but boastful in the sense that we are more intelligent than other people, that we just understand things better than other people? No. Christians should be the most humble people that walk the face of the earth. And this is what we see in the synagogue, that Paul spent time every Sabbath reasoning with these people. And so we see that Paul did not just walk into the synagogue on one Sabbath, preach an awesome sermon, and everybody was converted. Paul went to the synagogue every Sabbath. Sabbath after Sabbath, Paul continued to go to the same people to preach what I can assume was the same message over and over and over again to people who did not receive it the first time or the second time or the third or the fourth time. But he continued to go to these people, trying to persuade both Jew and Greek alike. And so notice, too, that Paul was reasoning with all men, all people groups. He wasn't just limited to the Jews, but he also tried to evangelize the Greeks. And then in verse 5, we see when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And so this point is particularly important because there is no New Testament that Paul is reasoning from. And so this is a call for Christians to remember the importance of the Old Testament because these are the scriptures, this is the word that Paul is reasoning from. There is no New Testament that Paul is using to reason with the people in the synagogue. Paul is contained in the Old Testament scriptures. And this is particularly important for us to remember is because without the Old Testament, there is no New Testament. And so we in the 21st century should not just be contained with the New Testament. And believe me, I understand, being, being in seminary, I understand that the Old Testament can be a very difficult span of books to, to study. And yet, this is exactly what we are called to do. We're called to be people of the Word. And the Word is both the Old and the New Testament. All 66 books are important. All 66 books point to the reality 
that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of man, the name that the only name by which people can be saved. And so I encourage you, perhaps even beginning this year, to spend more time in the Old Testament, to see the beauty and the glory that we see in the Old Testament, of the works of the Father, of the prophecies of Christ. One of the things that you'll surely see is that it opens up the entire scriptures to you. That through all, throughout all of human history, God has been executing his plan without fail to redeem a people for himself. And so it is these scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, that Paul is reasoning from in the synagogue. And as stated before, we see, well, in this particular case, we see a, a very stark reaction to Paul's message, specifically from the Jews. In verse 6, and they, being the Jews, opposed, and not only opposed, but reviled him. And he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so if you've ever attempted to share the gospel with somebody who's not a believer in the 21st century, uh, you've probably been met with one of, one of three responses, really. Uh, one being bewilderment, as in, you're a crazy person, how could you possibly believe that somebody was raised from the dead? Uh, another response, a much more positive response, the response that we all hope that we get when we share the gospel, right, is that they immediately believe. And they, they, begin, they become a Christian and they get saved and they, and they come to church. Uh, that's the response that we all would like to, to have. But there's a third response, a uh, response that is probably much more likely, uh, but opposition and revilement. And I want us to pay particular attention to Paul's response, because I think that, one, this response can be particularly confusing and, and has been used in, in the wrong context uh, before. But notice that Paul's response says, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so, first, first question, how many of us can say that with the people that we go past day after day, the people that we work with week after week, the people that we even see on, on Sunday week after week, how many of us can say that we are innocent of another person's blood? And what I mean by that is that every person in this room who professes to know Christ, who believes the blessed faith, knows that there's only one of two places a person can go when they die. There's a group of people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that are going to heaven, and there's another group of people who have rejected the Messiah who are going to hell. And if you believe this to be true, what does your effort look like to ensure with all the strength that you have, with everything that depends upon you, what effort have you put in to ensure that people escape the fires of hell and get to enjoy a blessed eternity with God in heaven? How many of us can say that I am innocent of another person's blood? That's a question that we all must ask ourselves. Am I innocent of my neighbor's blood? Have I done everything that I can 
to ensure that this person hears the gospel, has at least heard it? Have I done everything that I can to explain, to expound upon the scriptures, to reason with my neighbor, to plead with my neighbor that they escape the fires of hell? And then notice that he shook his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own head. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so Paul is not saying in this particular passage that he was, he's never going to preach the gospel to the Jews again, right? That, that is not what Paul is, is communicating here. Because again, in Romans, we see in Romans 9 that, that Paul is torn with love for his people. And so what Paul is not saying is that when somebody reviles and opposes you when you preach the gospel to them, you have free reign and liberty never to speak to that person again, right? That's not what Paul is, is communicating here. But like we see in previously in the book of Acts, during the days of persecution in Acts chapter 6, when the church is pushed out beyond its borders, this is God's plan for the Gentiles to be evangelized as well. So Paul is essentially saying that his missionary efforts are now expanding, not decreasing. He's saying that I'm now going to go to the Gentiles as well, not to the Gentiles exclusively. Again, in Romans 9, we see that Paul loves his brethren in the flesh, meaning Jews. And so Paul's missionary efforts are expanding, not decreasing in this passage. So Paul is going to begin to evangelize more Gentiles as well as Jews, not just Gentiles exclusively. In verse 7, and he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And we've run into this phrase uh, before in the book of Acts. And, and again, what this phrase means is that this person, uh, this Greek person was a worshiper of Yahweh, right? A, a disciple of uh, the Juda Judaism. And so his house was next door to the synagogue. So this guy was super spiritual. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I, am, I have many in this city who are my people." And then Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And so you might be asking, you might be thinking to yourself, right? Jordan, I'm not Paul, right? Paul was raised a Jew. He was taught the Old Testament scriptures from the time he was born. He spent time in the synagogue. He I mean, had an incredible conversion story on the, on the road to Damascus where he literally saw, saw Jesus. I, I'm not Paul. I don't have the type of knowledge that Paul has. I don't have the intellect that Paul has. I don't have the training that Paul has. I don't have these kinds of things to go out and do uh, evangelism like Paul. And I would respond to that question and say, yes, you're right. Right? You, you probably don't have the training that, that Paul does. You, you probably aren't as familiar with the Old Testament scriptures that Paul is. You might not even have the same intellect that Paul does, right? You, you're probably not any of those things that Paul is. 
But notice what the Lord says to Paul in a vision, and then ask yourself, why would the Lord not say those same things to me? And so the Lord said to Paul, do not be afraid. And so what, what this tells me is that there must have been some sense in which Paul was afraid. Even with Paul's familiarity with the Old Testament scriptures, even with Paul's intellect, there must have been a sense in which Paul was afraid, or else the Lord would not have told him not to be afraid. So the Lord says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And so one of the things that is a blessed doctrine in the Christian faith is, is called the sovereignty of God. Right? And it's this reality that, that God is in control of all things and that he governs the things that happen uh, both to us personally, uh, to our family. God is in control of all of those things. And the importance of this is that if God were not in control of those things, we would have a lot of reason to be afraid. If God were not in control of our lives, then any number of things could wreck us. Our neighbor who sins against us could wreck us. Our family that sins against us could wreck us. In a lot of cases, if we're being honest with ourselves, we would wreck us. But because God is in control, because God is sovereign, none of those things will wreck us. And so God can say, do not be afraid. More specifically to your efforts in evangelism, do not be afraid because I have people in this city. And so again, remember that this is a, a descriptive passage, so a lot of this is contained to Paul's missionary journey. But again, reason with yourself. If Paul has people, if God has people in Corinth, why would he not have people in Little Rock? that he is preparing to save? Why would he not have people in Little Rock that are ready to hear the gospel? And so the encouragement to you is do not be afraid. Go on speaking the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be not silent. He says, for I am with you. And again, one of, the great, one of the great things of our God is that if he spends time with Dan, does not mean he's too preoccupied to spend time with Justin. If Blake is praying, God is not too preoccupied to also hear the prayers of Nathan. God is with all of us in our day-to-day -day lives. And so be not afraid, but go on speaking and be not silent. And again, the great encouragement to your evangelistic efforts is that God has people in this city that are ready to hear the gospel. And like Paul, even if they're not ready to hear the gospel the first time 
or the second or the third or the fourth. You never know if what will happen on that fifth time. You don't know what will happen on the sixth time. Another thing, you might not actually ever see that person get saved. You might spend months with that person. But just like Paul and Apollos, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. And so go on speaking. Be not afraid. For God is with you, and there are people in this city that are his. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that you are a sovereign God and that from the beginning you have been working out your plan of redemption, that you have chosen for yourself, the book of Revelation tells us that you have chosen for yourself a multitude of people that cannot be counted. Lord, we give thanks to you that even now in this city you are with us that we have no reason to be afraid, but that we should go on proclaiming the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, that we should go on preaching the word to both our fellow believers for their edification and encouragement and also for those who are not yet a part of your church. We pray that as this year continues, Lord, that you would grant us more opportunities to share your word with people, that you would grant us more opportunities to share the good news and the hope that we have in your son, Jesus not only for this life, but the life to come. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.